We just finished last week a series that was, I think we took six weeks to go through Paul's life and ministry. Uh, we learned a lot about the Apostle Paul. Uh, today we're going to begin a three-week follow-up series called The Wisdom of Paul. And, and as we've taken time to learn from Paul's life and his ministry, now we're going to look at some specific writings, some of the wisdom that Paul leaves us with, really. And we're going we're gonna to just spend three weeks on, on these writings. The one for today is out of the book of Philippians. Uh, it really is one of my favorite books uh, in the New Testament. It's one of my favorite of Paul's letters. It's a short passage from Philippians 4, and here's what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, we're thankful that you're here with us in this place. Uh, We are thankful that you've given us your word, that you used the Apostle Paul. uh, Through him, you've written stuff not just for the church in Philippi, but for us today. God, as we uh, look at your word and we dig into it, I pray that you would search our lives, search our hearts, search our minds, show us where we still have room to grow, Show us how you are at work in us and inviting us to be a part of that process of growing us to completion. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. And so these words come at the very end of the book of Philippians. It's a short book. Philippians, uh, it's only four chapters, but it's still, it's kind of helpful to know what comes before it. Uh, the words that we just read, is, it's really the motivating call to action that Paul wants to leave the church in Philippi with. And so he bases that on, on what he had written to them ahead of time. We're not going to read the whole letter as much as I would, I would like to do that also. Uh, but I am going to give you a little bit of some, some of the context from this letter. First of all, Paul writes to the Philippians from jail. He's writing uh, from jail. He, re- makes, he makes this known in the first chapter. Uh, that's important to know because he uses his own life as an example throughout a lot of the letter. You know, uh, a number of Paul's letters have really deeply theological sections for the first half to the first two-thirds, and then it has the practical stuff at the end. And Philippians is just different, and in kind of a refreshing way, Paul uses his own life. He says, here's, here's how I'm living my life and what God's doing, and here's what I want you to do as you follow that example. And then he says, here's what Jesus did, And here's how I want you to follow that example. And then he goes back to his life. And he says, here's how I'm living my life, what God has done in me. And here's how to follow that as an example. Uh, Really what this is, this is discipleship, friends. It's following someone else so that we can grow to maturity. And that leads us to the next thing. Paul focuses on, uh, in this letter, on growing to maturity. 
He uses these words with the Philippians like he says, I want to see you go on to completion. He, he says he wants to see them live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, let those of you who are mature think in this same way. He's hoping that they won't just be people who can talk about a time long ago when God worked in their life. He's hoping that they're going to be people who are going to press into God and continue to have God grow them. He explains a little bit of how this works. Uh, he says, even though he wants them to respond to God, that God is actually the one that brings about the transformation in their lives. Now, I think this can be an often misunderstood thing. It's like, well, if God is the one that changes me, what part do I play? Do I even have a part to play? That, that can be a confusing conversation to get into. Uh, the way I like to explain it is there's this pattern of grace, response, grace. The idea is that God's grace always comes first. God reaches towards us before we reach towards him. And then it's because of God's grace that we're able to have a response. Now we can either respond by leaning towards God or by leaning away from God. If you think like Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, they're naked and they're embarrassed. They kind of lean away from God. That's the hiding. We do that in our own lives sometimes too, right? Leaning towards God would be uh, going to God. And, and oftentimes what we find is when we respond by leaning towards God, we experience more grace. And that's where the transformation happens. It's this, uh, it's this cycle that keeps happening. God's grace uh, lets us respond by leaning in and we get more grace. Uh, in, in this letter, Paul's really focused on how do we respond to God's grace with our minds? How do we respond to God's grace with our thoughts? I want you to see a video uh, about something that has to do with our minds and how that deals with the rest of our lives. So here's this video to watch. I was riding along just fine, and then we started to go down a hill. I was going pretty fast, and I was honestly a bit scared. I've never been that great on bikes. I saw way down the hill a giant pole, and I kept on thinking, don't hit the pole, don't hit the pole. Then right at the critical moment, my muscles tensed up, and I went off the sidewalk, and I hit the flipping pole. It hit the gear shift and broke it, and I had to tell my mom. She wasn't very happy because she uses that bike like every day for exercise, and now she couldn't even shift gears. My dad bought a new shifter and replaced it, so my mom had the use of her bike back again. My dad said that he had heard about something like this, and he looked it up. What he found was target fixation. Target fixation is an attentional phenomenon observed in humans in which an individual becomes so focused on an observed object, be it a target or a hazard, that they inadvertently increase the risk of colliding with the object. So, yeah. Me looking at the telephone pole and thinking, I hope I don't hit that, apparently made my subconscious go, Hey, he's looking at those pipes. I feel like we should smash right into them. Just a feeling, but I'm going for it. Ugh, why, brain? Just why? So be careful out there, everyone. And if there's something that you need to avoid in life, don't look at it too hard, or you'll most likely slam right into it. So thank you guys so much for watching, and I'll see you guys later. So that's some good life advice. Don't stare at the pole if you're riding a bicycle. That also explains something similar to what Paul is trying to help the Philippians understand. And that is that the Christian life is not just about trying to uh, have our behaviors look like Christian behaviors. That, that's not what the Christian life is about. We're not supposed to just look like Christian people. 
We're actually supposed to be totally transformed from the inside out. And for Paul, a lot of that begins with what do we fix our mind on? You know, I think probably before target fixation was scientifically proven, I think Paul was onto this thing. He knew that what we fixed our minds on, that that's what our lives go towards. And so Paul's big question through this letter, and especially in the verses that we're looking at, is how can we respond to God with our minds so that we can keep growing in Christ? So we're going to look at this, uh, this letter. There's really five different uh, kind of chunks. We're going to take it verse by verse. And my hope for all of us in here is not that you have a takeaway for each of those verses. That would be way too many to try to implement into our lives. What my hope is, is that each of us maybe could, could open up to God, ask God to show us one thing, one takeaway thing that we might need to work on this week. Some, one thing, one way where we might need to set our minds on Christ a little bit more. So I hope, open yourself up, invite God to come in to speak to you as we start looking at these verses. The first part, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul is very excited about rejoicing. He is very joyful in this letter. Uh, and, and so, you know, actually 11 times before this verse, Paul has told them something about joy or the need to rejoice. It's only a four chapter letter. And one time, uh, one time after this verse, before the letter ends, he will do that again. He is obsessed with the idea that Christians need to be joyful. Now, now, what does he mean by that? Why is that so important? Well, if you look at, it's not just that we should be joyful, right? It's where do we find our joy? He says we need to find our joy in the Lord, in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul expresses a whole lot of joy in this letter, even though he's writing the letter from prison. He doesn't spend time in the letter talking about how the best years of his lives are being wasted because he's unjustly locked away. Nope, he, he doesn't spend time stewing over that. He doesn't uh, spend time articulating all the things he would rather be doing or how uncomfortable a first century Roman prison might be. I'm sure it was pretty bad. Uh, he, he spends time in the letter focusing on the joy he has in Christ that can't be taken away no matter the circumstances. How many times in our lives are we ready to be joyful as long as the circumstances line up, right? Just as soon as that thing at work gets taken care of and, and then the pressure's off, then I can, I can finally go home and, and be joyful. Just as soon as my spouse learns how to not bug me so much, right? then I can, I can maybe be a little bit more of a joyful person. Uh, just as soon as the stock market does better or uh, something happens right, where I, my, I feel financially secure and I don't have to worry, then I will be more joyful, right? Yeah, the funniest part for me, whenever, you know, early on when I tried to fast, I used to always have this uh, conversation with God where I would end up saying, God, I could pray to you a lot better if I wasn't fasting right now. And I, I've, God, God has brought me past that. But, you know, I think for a lot of us, we have to remember that the joy we have in Christ is not a joy that's dependent on our circumstances. So for this part of the letter, I think Paul wants us to, to ask ourselves, how do I let my circumstances get in the way of joy? How can I focus my mind on Christ so that my joy can really be found in Christ and not in all the other things happening in the world? Uh, what I've found is I've tried to press into this, especially this week, I think something God showed me is that uh, when I'm not trying to find joy in my circumstances, but I'm trying to find joy in Christ, it actually 
it helps me, or it kind of makes me, it forces me to focus on why Jesus is so good. So instead of focusing on maybe a blessing God has given me, instead of focusing on uh, something good that happened in my day, it, it actually causes me to go to the source and think, man, why is it so good that I get to know Jesus? That's a, that's a good question to ponder on. So Paul first starts off to have, he wants us to have joy in the Lord. If we have joy in the Lord, we'll be able to have joy all the time because no one can take Jesus away from us. His next point, he says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. That word gentleness, uh, it's actually, uh, sometimes it's translated uh, reasonableness. And to understand it, I think it's helpful to know in another area, I think it's 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul writes about the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And then earlier in Philippians 2, he writes about Christ as the humble servant who is the example servant for us. And the thing he says in chapter 2 that just sticks with me, it says, he, uh, consider the needs of others before your own. I think what Paul's saying here, he's not just saying you should look like a gentle person, like don't be scary or something like that. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think he's saying uh, have a mindset like Jesus where you have a humility and a gentleness about you and how you think about others. How can we take on the mind of Christ and think about others where we're considering their own needs above our own? And I think if we have that mindset, if we respond to God's grace by fixing our mind on that same mind that Jesus had, I think we'll be able to actually treat people in a gentle way. In many ways, I think this is gonna be, if we live into this, this would be the best witness the world could see from those of us who follow Jesus. Uh, I find this is hardest with those that are closest to me and those that are furthest away from me. What I mean by that is uh, closest to me, my own family, and we love our families so much, and then uh, they're around us all the time, and sometimes they get on our nerves. And sometimes the people we love the most can be the ones that are uh, hardest to think about with a Christ-like mind. So that, maybe that's an area for some of us here today. We need to just spend extra time praying on that this week. Uh, but I also find it true for those who are furthest away from us. Those who uh, maybe we sharply disagree with on something contentious. Uh, you could think of a million things, but politics is something that comes to mind in our current society today that can be pretty, uh, there can be a lot of bitterness between people of different political ideologies or even in the church. There's different ways that we might disagree about something. Uh, and, and it can cause a bitterness and a not a far less than gentle mindset towards each other at times. And so, you know, I wonder what it would look like for us to have the humble mindset of Christ, to consider what someone else's needs more than we consider our own. Uh, I, think, I think it's tough. I think if we lean into that a little bit, I think God's grace helps us continue to lean into that. And that's why uh, Paul's not just saying, uh, will yourself to be a different person. He's saying, start, start fixing your mind on the things of Christ uh, so that you can continue to encounter God's grace and your, your life will follow. Paul goes on. He says, the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is one of my favorite verses. I think in college uh, with a Bible study I was in, it was one of the first verses that uh, I got challenged to memorize. And it's always just stuck with me. Uh, the idea here is that God is near to us. Remember the very last verse in Matthew, Jesus says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. That's the promise he leaves us with. So because Jesus is near to us, we don't have to worry about anything. 
Instead, we should take those anxious, worrisome thoughts and give them to God in a prayer, right? I think Paul has a really robust understanding of prayer. He uses four different words for pray, right? He, prayer, supplication, which is asking God to supply us with what we need. Thanksgiving, which is a form of prayer, offering thanks to God. And then uh, this last one, it's not really a word, but let your requests be made known. You know, don't demand things of God, but tell God what, what, what you need. God wants to know. He already knows. He wants, he wants us to bring that to him. Uh, John Wesley had a quote on this verse in his commentary in the New Testament. He said that Thanksgiving is the surest mark of a soul free from anxiety. I think it's true. I think John Wesley, I think Paul sees that there's this correlation between being thankful and not having anxiety. And I wonder what would it look like for us Instead of having all these worrying thoughts and, you know, someone earlier today had, had lost their cell phone, right? That, maybe that's a great example. Sorry uh, if you're in here and I'm picking on you. Uh, but taking that, there's a lot you could worry about. Losing your cell phone's a big deal. And instead of worrying about it, saying, all right, God, you know what? You are a good God. You're big enough. I'm going to trust you. God, I need you to help me find my cell phone. Uh, and we actually, we prayed, to, we prayed to help find the cell phone before the, the worship service started. The next verse is really the, the promise. It's what happens when we fix our minds on Christ instead of on worrisome thoughts. Paul says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this because it is, uh, it is speaking to that pattern of grace response grace. God's grace comes to us. We respond with our minds by bringing those worries to God and the way we encounter God's grace again is we receive God's peace. We receive God's peace. Uh, I think in that song that Nick was singing earlier, uh, as I was sitting and praying and just reflecting, I experienced God's peace. I wanted to keep experiencing that, right? Uh, continuing to be in that moment felt a lot, sounded a lot better than preaching a sermon because God's peace, man, there's nothing like it. Uh, I, something that stands out to me in this, uh, that God's peace surpasses all understanding and sometimes I think we need a reminder that God can do things that we can't understand. He can fix problems that are unfixable. He is the ultimate problem solver and we shouldn't put anything uh, past God. We shouldn't say, well, you know, I would love for my anxiety to be fixed, but, uh, but it's just too big. Nothing's too big for God. We might need to consider what does it look like even to fix our mind on the peace of God and remembering that nothing's too big for God. And so he, Paul has already given us a lot to think about so far. And if, if all of that specific instruction was not enough, he gives us this. He says, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So Paul has a list of virtues here. And it's interesting to me, he doesn't just say, be a virtuous person, uh, go practice these virtues. He, he really says that the starting point to being a virtuous person is to set our minds on those godly virtues so that God can come in and transform our lives. As I was uh, meditating on this on, on our Wednesday night uh, service in the chapel this week, uh, this was one of the verses we read for our meditative reading. What God really brought to my mind was that very last part, think about these things. 
if I'm going to spend time thinking about godly virtues and uh, meditating on godly things, it means I actually have to stop doing things and take time to just sit. That's hard for me. I, I like to be busy. I like to be efficient. I like to go, go, go and achieve and accomplish and check things off my to-do list, right? I don't know if anyone else is in here like that. Maybe I'm the only one. But for me, what I've realized in my life, I, I need to sit and just spend time thinking about God and his goodness. That's a part of my sanctification journey. Uh, that's not me being lazy. That's me letting God grow me, right? We probably all need a little bit of that intentional sitting with God in our lives. And Paul expands on this and kind of clarifies what he means in this next verse. He says, keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. What, what strikes me about this, uh, he's really saying, if that list of virtues is confusing in any way, let me give you a reference point. Look at my life. And isn't that interesting? You know, I think sometimes we think that Christianity is this kind of thing that we can learn in a classroom setting, right? Like if I read the Bible enough or if I uh, memorize things about God enough, I'll know the Sunday school answers and then uh, I'm becoming a smarter Christian. Growing as a Christian doesn't actually work in that sort of way all the time. I do think learning a certain amount of knowledge is very useful and important. But I think Christianity is a lot less like a classroom academic learning environment. It's a lot more like an apprenticeship. The apprentice has to spend time with the master so that they can learn what it looks like to be a master. So they can learn the trade. And, you know, if you think about it, this is how Jesus taught his disciples. He, sure, he, he had teachings, he had parables. We have, we have a lot of that recorded in the Gospels. It's great that we have that. But the biggest thing he did, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. For three years, he, he let these people, these, these 12 uh, hooligans, really, these, these really messed up people follow him and he taught them how to become like him. They learned because they got to see his very life. And then those, those leaders of the church did the same thing with others who did the same thing with others who did the same thing with others who... Here today, we need that same thing, my friends. We can't just learn about Christianity by reading books or by reading the Bible or by spending time in a academic learning environment. We need to have people in our lives that can be the example for us. So this might make us ask the question, who is it in our lives that we could point to to say that person is really a little further ahead of me? That is a mature follower of Christ and I want to look at their life and study their life and have that in my mind as the target so that I can learn and grow to maturity in Christ. I'm thankful here at Bethany and, and uh, in other relationships I have outside of Bethany, I have a number of people that I feel like I can look at their life and think, man, they are doing that better than I am. They are on this journey. They're further along than me and I can learn from them. Uh, some of the staff people that I work with in certain meetings, we, we start our meetings sometimes by sharing how is it with your soul, that grow group question that it helps us see a picture of what's going on, what God is doing in someone's lives. Uh, I need that in my mind. I need to see what, what God's doing in someone else's life so that I know what it should look like in my life. 
You know, it's never going to be the exact same, but it, but it gives us a picture. That's what I'm trying to say. And so, in all of this, you know, again, don't try to have a takeaway for each of those five verses. Uh, was there one or maybe two things that God showed you about how to fix your mind on Christ? And my hope is that we can be a people who don't just uh, follow Christ by trying to look like good Christians with our actions, but that we could respond to God's grace by fixing our minds on Christ as we go through our week. And then in doing that, we could be leaning in and experiencing God's transforming grace even more. Let us pray. God, you're good to us. You're so good to us. Come and teach us right now. Come and fix our minds on you. God, I pray that you would give us your joy, uh, your humility and gentleness. Give us your peace, God. You are the God of peace. I pray, God, that you would help us see how we can uh, live out this scripture in our life this week. Show us personally what that looks like. And I pray that you would give us people that we can do this with, some to follow, some so that we can be examples for them. In all this, I pray that you would continue to pour yourself out for us so that we can grow to maturity, so we can live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.